0: Lord, we're just so grateful to be here together as the people of God, as the family of God. And we thank you that you've given us your word to guide us and that you've given us this Holy Spirit to help us understand and apply your word. Um, We just pray that this day of worship, um, Lord, that you'd be with us as we talk now and as our children study, as we sing to you later and hear your word preached from Pastor Milton. Lord, just uh, may you feed your people. We are so needy. We thank you that you've ordained uh, this day for us to worship you. It, it meets our needs. <clears throat> we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how many of you guys got my email yesterday, but I want you to imagine that four of our church youth were captured, kidnapped, taken to Iraq and uh, put into an intensive brainwashing training program to make them top-tier propagandists for Islam, for Allah. And so they changed the name of Brandon to Mahajah, and Jesse's name gets changed to Ali, and Donovan's name gets changed to Kahil, and Caleb's name gets changed to Amid. And these guys are put into a three-year training program to to go out and promote Allah. That's not too far removed. Actually, it's pretty close to what Daniel and his compatriots went through in the chapter that we're going to be studying today as we begin a new quarter <clears throat> dealing with God's uh, really restoration and protection. Um, so... You've got Daniel and um, his friends. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's actually their changed names. That's their Babylonian names in honor to three different gods in Babylon. The names their mothers gave them are Azariah and uh, Mishael, and then you have Hananiah, and then, of course, Daniel. And so we're going to be looking at these guys. And, uh, and really, we're, we're going to see some challenging things here. You know, uh, these guys are uh, taken into captivity, into exile. And then they have to make a decision on whether they're going to remain pure and undefiled to the Lord. or Are they going to compromise? And are they going to start worshiping the gods of Nebuchadnezzar? And then we see, we're going to see how the Lord really protects and preserves them in the long run. Uh, But when you think about, just imagine that you're in these guys' shoes. Nebuchadnezzar comes down in around 605 B.C. This is the first wave. I think Dan talked about the three different waves of exile. And Jehoiakim is the Lord hands him into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And so these young men, in all likelihood, their parents have been executed. They've been taken from their homes brought to a foreign land where they don't understand the language everybody's speaking aramaic jews didn't know aramaic at that point in history and um, not only that um, but when we look at we'll look at the text here in a second they're put into underneath the rulership of the chief of eunuchs if the chief of eunuchs is your head guy what do you think you are you're a eunuch (laughs) And so we're talking about young men anywhere from the age of probably 13 to 17, 18 years old that have been taken from their land, brought to a completely different land, brought into the clan of eunuchs to be trained to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court. These guys have been through some pretty tragic stuff. And um, you can imagine there would be many reasons to just get bitter and angry at God. God, you took me away from my home. My parents are dead. I will never marry. I will never have children. Here I am living in a foreign land. And how do we see these young men respond and behave? You know, I think it is true that we can say of Daniel that God loved Daniel and had a wonderful plan for his life. But I don't know if Daniel really thought that that's what his life was going to be. Living in a foreign land as a eunuch in Nebuchadnezzar's court and other ruler's courts all the way down to Cyrus. And yet the Lord uses him in amazing, amazing ways. So let's go ahead and open up to Daniel. And um, and let's begin to make some observations of this text and I want you just to imagine again yourself or your children being in this scenario. We're going to basically make three points from this chapter. We're going to look at the exile, kind of, it sets up the setting for the problem. It's sec- in verses 9 to 16 the problem of defilement. And then their promotion and preservation in verses 17 and following, but let's pick it up in verse one, the exile in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So you guys know ancient besieges. These take, these take a while, right? We're not sending rockets into places not scud missiles, you can tell these; they would have known pretty far in advance that Nebuchadnezzar is coming, and then he's building up his fortifications and all this kind of stuff. But verse 2, and we're going to see that the Lord, God is very active in this chapter. The Lord gave Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. That's a synonym for Babylon to the house of his God and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. It's interesting. This is actually in fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah where Hezekiah had shown the vessels of the Lord to Babylonians. And God said, the time those vessels that you showed to the Babylonians, you were trying to make this treaty because you didn't trust in me. Those same vessels are going to be carried away into the temples of their gods hundred years later it happens nebuchadnezzar takes those vessels this isn't the full-on destruction of jerusalem yet but now they've subjugated um, judah and they've killed or you know made kind of a puppet government and they've carried away a lot of the best young men and so on definitely we don't like to talk about it but definitely some of the young women were also carried away into harems and whatnot and um And so you just imagine these vessels, we're talking about like the menorah, we're talking about the plate for the showbread, probably maybe the altar, places where you'd burn the incense. All these things have now gone away from being used for Yahweh into the worship of Bel and Madrak and other Babylonian gods. Verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz... His chief eunuch. Now, some of you, it's not going to say chief eunuch. It might say chief officer. Raise your hand if your translation says officer or something like that. Raise your hand if it says eunuch. Okay. So the reason for the discrepancy is because the um, the Hebrew word saris, its original meaning was eunuch. And so normally a eunuch was somebody who was emasculated in order to be in one of the government officials' early on in ancient history to oversee the king's harem, right? Use your imagination. You can see why they would put a eunuch in charge of the harem. And um, But then over as time went on, um, eunuchs began to also serve in other functions. And then the word got a little more generalized to just kind of officer, to where even like Potiphar, remember Potiphar, Joseph, and they have Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, He is called a Saras, even though he was clearly married. Um, However, in this case, we're going to, I think it's a pretty good guess that Daniel and his compatriots really were, are going to be underneath a eunuch officer. And they are going to be eunuchs because one, the prophecy of Hezekiah, the prophecy was, is that, that they would be carried away into captivity. And part of the punishment would be as your son's, the king's sons. In other words, his subjects would be made eunuchs. But also there's another prophecy in Isaiah that when they return back to the land, that though somebody is a eunuch, they will still have favor with the Lord and the Lord will grant them blessing though they cannot have children. And so clearly there are people that are being brought back from the land who have been made eunuchs. They're like, Lord, what is, where's our inheritance? And he says, I'm your inheritance. And, um, And so because of those types of that language and these prophecies, it's a pretty good guess that Daniel and his compatriots were were eunuch officers. Yeah, Joe. No, nah, there's no evidence of that with Daniel. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they kind of fall off the pages as time goes on. After the, uh, you know, the fire incident, you know, the image and being thrown on the fire. But yeah, there's no indication anywhere that Daniel married or anything like that. There's no mention of his wife or stuff like that. So that's that's what would lead people to say that this is the situation that they're in. So anyway, back to um, you know kind of there in the middle of verse three, the chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family or the royal seed and of the nobility, verse four use without blemish of good appearance, skillful and wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So um, Aspenaz is supposed to go f- from the the Jewish slaves to find some that are just really high quality. They would have probably been, maybe they were being groomed to be officers or high-standing individuals in the court of Jehoiakim. And so these would be go underneath the training program to be taught both the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So would be talking about all the mythology and and so on and so forth. So clearly these, are, these kids are no longer in their Jewish homeschool environment. <laughs> they have now been shoved into the Babylonian school and for three years to learn all of these things that they were forbidden to really learn and think about as Jewish young people. Verse five. uh, So the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They would be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king so among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. So we're not going to go into all the what all the names mean, but each one of those names is a Jewish name that is basically some praise or ascribing something to to Yahweh, right? And um <clears throat> and they're from the tribe of Judah. What's significant about the tribe of Judah? Well, that's where a lot of your kings are rising from, right? And so that's another reason why these 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 individuals clearly came from the royal court or royal seed. And so they're dignitaries, they're of royal blood. And so um, just another reason why Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians would not want these young men to propagate is they don't want Israel to have any hope or Judah to have any hope of some future king coming through these young men, right? And um, so verse 7, and the chief eunuchs gave them names. He called <coughs> Bel, uh, Daniel Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called uh, Ab- uh, Abednego. So these are all you know names that are given to to various um, gods of the Babylonians. There's Bel, uh, Nebo, and Marduk ones like the moon God I forget one of them I think is a God of fertility I forget what the other one is but these are just it's basically your name is being changed to worship of another God and so that's got to be you know devastating and and at this point you know these young men they don't know any Aramaic so they don't know what's going on Um, they're just listening to all this babble literally and uh, they don't know what what's being said But there must have been, you know, probably Ashpenaz probably knew some Hebrew because he's able to evaluate these young men and they're able to have some dialogue uh, right here very early on in in the exile. Uh, So we see in verse eight. So that's, you know, one to seven kind of sets up the problem, sets up the exile. And... um, And I don't know about you, but there should be a sense. I think there's meant to be a sense of like, wow, this is tragic. This is like one of the big, this is like the beginning of one of those Charles Bronson movies where some bad guy breaks into his house when he's not there and kills his wife and kids. And then he shows up and he's like, ah, I'm going to get my revenge. You know? And of course that's, this is what Daniel and those guys decide. Um, So that's, that sets up the problem. And, um, so then we get to <clears throat> even more of a problem <clears throat> and that, uh, from eight to, to 16. That's really, so what are, how are Daniel and his friends, how are they going to react? Are they going to fold in to the culture and just start worshiping Marduk, Bel, and Nebo? Are they just going to go with the plan just to keep, make sure that they stay alive and keep the peace well, in verse eight, but Daniel, so he seems to be kind of the lead spokesman here, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. In all likelihood, he's probably speaking in Hebrew. That it could be that they learned some Aramaic being part of the royal court. We don't really know for sure. Probably speaking Hebrew. Yeah. And and the Hebrew guys tell them, don't you know, talk in Aramaic. We understand. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, talk in Aramaic because we don't want the people on the walls to understand, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Real good connection. So then, in verse nine, um and God call gave Daniel favor. So this is the second time that God's entering into this narrative. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age so um you would endanger my head with the king A lot going on here so the Lord and his sovereignty clearly is entering in. He's he's who does this remind you of that Daniel is getting favor with his captor. Joseph. Yeah. It kind of reminds you of Joseph, right? And then Joseph's also one that prophesies about the, the cut and the baker, right? The cupbearer survives. The baker has his head cut off. And so, you know that this eunuch, if he doesn't behave properly, the eunuch official, he could have his head cut off and so he's listening to what his jewish, you know, boys are saying and and they don't want to defile themselves. Let's go back to that question. <clears throat> what do you think why would Daniel be worried about eating the king's fare? Say it again? Okay, so yeah, so that could be one thing is it's not kosher. We do have evidence. We do know that the Babylonians ate pork and lots of things that the Jews were forbidden from eating. And so it is possible that it's because it's not a kosher meal. It would defile them ceremonially. Um, The problem with that is that wine was perfectly permissible for a Jewish person. There's nothing unkosher about wine. Okay so that but but that's a possibility that maybe there's some aspect of that, at least with the food, yeah, Joe, okay, where could it have come from right, yeah, it's very, very likely that the king's meat was offered to a god then set before the king and then brought to the eunuchs. And so it could be that they're like, wow, we don't want to defile ourselves with food that's been offered to an idol. Very possible. The problem with that view is that they're okay eating the vegetables and the grains, which would have also been offered to an idol. Everything they would have put in their mouths would have been offered to an idol. Did you have something, Larry? same. Same? Okay. So that's one possibility. A third view is that um, Daniel and his friends, they were just very concerned about healthy eating. They wanted to eat healthy, be trim, slaves, and uh, just wanted to eat well. Uh, That's a modern anachronism that just does not fit. There's nothing in the Levitical law that says, hey, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk and eat it because that's unhealthy. Rather, eat this way because that's healthy. Yeah, grass-fed beef. All of the dietary regulations in the book of Leviticus have to do with what allows us to approach God or not approach God, whether it makes us clean or unclean. I'm talking about Jews. Um, and It's which, which tied into what the peoples were doing in Canaan. Uh, God just wanted them to totally disassociate from anything the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites were doing so that there would be the least possible, pos, uh, least possibility of of Israel following them and conforming to them. Even things like don't shave the sides of your beard—that seems weird to us—but no doubt the Canaanites were shaving the sides of their beards in order to worship their false gods. That were also causing their children to pass under fire, temple prostitution, every all of the gross things that come up in the book of Leviticus where you're reading it and you like, you want to skip those phrases during Bible time because you don't want your children to think about some of those things. Those are things that those people were doing in Canaan. That's why they get mentioned in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And, um, so anyway, so, so that's the whole purpose for the dietary regulations, not some sort of health food diet. Um. So, if you want to read Rick Rick Warren's Daniel's Diet, go ahead. Just ignore the exegesis. <laughs> he co-writes it with a uh, a, a dietitian, and so I, I'm sure there's good information there about good eating. But um, just very poor exegesis to say, "Hey, this is what Daniel was doing." Um, so, a fourth possibility is that. It's kind of a combination view that basically says that Daniel and his buddies, they all decided, you know what? We don't want to defile ourselves with kind of like the sumptuous, luxurious nature of the king's table and get tempted into just rejecting Yahweh. And yeah, there's some defilement aspect. There's some pork and there's probably these things are being offered to, to false gods, even the vegetables. But we want to, as much as we can, separate ourselves from that so that we maintain our identity. By the way, it's Daniel that's writing this material. And every time he refers to himself, he's referring to himself by his Jewish name, not Belshazzar. Bel- um, and so it seems, seems like that might be the way to go. We don't know exactly. We just know that they decided we don't want to eat the king's food. This makes... Um, And how do I say his name again? Ashpenaz. That's a pretty cool name. Maybe I'll name if I ever have a kid Ashpenaz. Um, That makes him nervous, right? And and let's think about this. Daniel and his friends are saying, can we drink water? And then in most of the text, it says eat vegetables. The idea of vegetables is more like nuts, grains, and whatever kind of leafy, type of stuff was happened to be in Babylon leeks or that all of that would have fit into this category of vegetables. Just kind of not the fatty pork, meat and wine and what have you, no in and out or anything like that. So um why do you think why would the chief eunuch be nervous about that kind of diet for the people under his care? Right. Yeah, he wants, his goal is to fatten up these slaves, right? When they appear before the king, he wants them to look healthy and fat. If you, if you research the concept of fatness versus thinness in the ancient world, to be thin is not good. That means you're poor and you're sickly. But if your bubble's in the middle, you know you're on the level, right? Right. That's kind of the basic idea. So you want to fatten up um, your slaves so that they are looking nice and healthy. And so, you know, by experience, he knows if I give these guys just nuts and grains and water, these guys are going to lose weight and I'm going to be in trouble. So what does Daniel say? Let's go back. So we're at verse 12. So he's uh, test your servants for 10 days. Um, Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our parents and the parents of the youths, be uh, who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. So this is the 10 day fattening up diet. Right. So if we were going to do a diet plan here, it wouldn't be to lose weight. It'd be like, Hey. Uh, Aspinaz, we're going to put on weight in 10 days by eating grains and leeks and water. And we're going to gain so much weight in 10 days, you're going to see our cheeks are fatter and our overall body mass, we're just going to be fatter individuals. Now, do you think that is likely to happen just by pure biology within 10 days by eating grains, nuts, and drinking water? No, it's not very likely. Unless these guys are just completely stuffing themselves. But I don't know about you. When I sometimes I'll eat a little bit of oatmeal in the morning and by like nine o'clock, I'm hungry again. Um, and so so verse 15 at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate at the king's uh, king's food. So you compare all these other guys that are eating pork chops and all this kind of stuff and wine. And then you look at the Jewish guys, they're eating their nuts and grains and oats and they're fatter after 10 days. I don't know about you, that's miraculous. That's God entering in and saying, I'm going to honor your decision to honor me, to, want to, re- to, rem- to maintain your identity as Yahweh worshipers. I will bless you and I will restore, I will rescue you. And so verse 16, so the steward took away the food and the wine um, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So he didn't look at the diet and say, wow, this is a better diet. I'm going to give grains and nuts and oats to everybody. No, he recognized what was going on here. There's something special going on with these Jewish young men. I'm going to allow them to continue to eat the vegetables and water, but I'm still giving the pork and the wine to everybody else, right? And so even he seems to know, There's something miraculous, something unique going on with these young men. And so then we, you know, so that, that's kind of the exile. That's the kind of the the test of defilement. What are they going to do? The Lord enters in in a very special way. But then we see the Lord again in verse 17 to the end, where we see this uh, promotion and preservation. So let's look at verse 17. As for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. This is a very interesting passage. Who's the actor here? God. This is the third time God enters into the narrative as the actor. First time he gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Second time he gives Daniel and his friends favor in the eyes of Ashpenaz and compassion. No doubt Ashpen has, is looking at these poor young kids who have lost their parents and they've been made eunuchs and he has compassion on them. The Lord gave that to him, And now here we have the Lord basically <clears throat> giving them learning and skill in all literature. What literature? What literature are they studying? Babylonian literature. So even though they're studying the literature of the Babylonians, which is a lot of it's just about mythology and about these false gods and stuff like that. um, They're being forced to study this material. And yet God is giving them wisdom and knowledge and how to use it and how to cut, probably cutting through it, figuring out, you know, every people is made the image of God. Right. And so we would, if we really thinking through our sociology from a biblical perspective, the worst pagan nation <clears throat> is going to have some good things in it. You think about the Aztecs. They had some amazing, amazing organization to Mexico City, right? Um, you go back and look, and it's incredible. Some of the, the science that was, and yet they're tearing the hearts out of their children and offering them up to false, the sun god. Um, and so with every culture, you're going to see the image of God in some way, and you're going to see depravity in other ways. And so <clears throat> God is, you know, these Jewish youth are studying the Babylonians. And, and my guess is, is, he's helping them discern between the image of God stuff and the depravity stuff. And, and, and Lord's given them the ability to not give in to the depravity that they see on the pages of the Babylonian literature. This is the same thing that so many of us have to do when we are in school or going to college. When I think back upon my college days, I was a literature major in college. And my pro- the program that we were put through was an anti-Christian, um, God-demoting demoting program. So many of the people that we read, John Stuart Mill. Raise your hand if you've read John Stuart Mill. This guy's an atheist who hated God and it was his writings that influenced Bertrand Russell away from God. Um, uh, The poet Shelley, people talk about the Romantics. Shelley's such a wonderful poet. The guy was a rank atheist who hated God and was totally immoral. Um, You just look at some of the greatest, what's considered the greatest writers. Most of what I was told I had to read in college as a literature major were people who were polemically trying to oppose God. But as a literature major, I was also exposed to Anne Bradstreet for the first time, a Puritan poet. I was also exposed to Jonathan Edwards for the first time. Amazing. Um, And some of the early American writers. Um, And so these guys are being exposed to things that no doubt were just, you know, if they had a heart to, to move away from Yahweh. They could have easily moved away from Yahweh, but God was able to give them wisdom to discern. But not only that, notice the rest of that, that verse. So they were studying, um, the literature and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And I'll tell you what, that must've been a comfort. These guys have been ripped away from their parents. They're not able to go to synagogue anymore. Mom and dad aren't having Bible time when they rise, when they go to bed, they're just alone. And God in his mercy decides to give Daniel the prophetic gift and is giving him direct divine revelation. These guys didn't have a Gideon Bible in their back pocket when they got carried away into captivity. And yet God is giving them revelation of himself. And, and they're able to to hear from the Lord directly while they've been carried away into captivity. While they 're studying all this literature of the false gods and stuff, yeah, Joe totally, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, so yeah, later we're going to see some of the dreams that are laid out, and he's able to give the interpretation. And then Daniel's just, you know, I think no doubt getting his own dreams and so on. We see that fleshed out in the rest of the chapter. So then verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. How long was the end of the time? So three years. So let's just say for argument's sake that these, you know, Jewish young man becomes a man at 13. And let's say they all get carried away. Let's say they're around 15 years old when they start this program and so theoretically they'd be 18 years old now and and they've been fattened up you know by their grains and oats and stuff like that so they come they stand before Nebuchadnezzar they've learned Aramaic now Uh, verse 19 and the king spoke with them and among all of them none was found like Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah Therefore, they stood before the king. The first stood before the king was kind of their interview time. The second stood before the king is they're now part of the court. Just imagine what these guys have been through. They are now part of the court of the most powerful nation on the earth at this time. They're in Nebuchadnezzar's court, giving him, this pagan leader, advice Um, You know, I don't want to... I know there's political spectrums all over the planet and stuff like that. But I just think of, you know, from what I can discern, Mike Pence seems to be a pretty sincere guy who wants to honor the Lord. And here he is. He has the ear of the President of the United States. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about that, that Mike Pence is able to speak into the ear of a guy that, you know, is a little goes a few different directions you know that are interesting and um and here daniel and and his compatriots they've got the ear of nebuchadnezzar and giving him advice verse 20 and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom so not only are they there with Nebuchadnezzar, but the people they're working with, I, I want to suggest to you, this wasn't the most positive working environment. When your compatriot, the people you're working with, your co-laborers are magicians and chanters. That means these are guys that are probably speaking via demons. <laughs> and, um, and you know, kind of the ancient, when you read even about Balaam and some of these folks that were diviners, these are people that would fall on the floor. The eyes would roll in the back of their head. They'd be like, start babbling, something that was probably coming from a demon. And that's your buddy that you're working with. That's who you're talking with around the water cooler. Right. And, um, and yet, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is looking at these guys. They're 10 times better than Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have said this, but these demon possessed guys, and they're giving just amazing counsel, obviously from the Lord. And then verse 21, we see kind of like, this is the, I don't know what you want to call it. The grand finale. Um, this is the big firework show at the end of the firework show. Verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, for most of us, we don't really know what that means, but any ancient reader who would have been reading this, it's like he outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. He outlasted uh Nabonidus. He outlasted the other Belshazzar. And now he was actually giving advice to another kingdom, Cyrus. We've now moved from Babylon to Persia, right? And Daniel's still there. Um, And so in one chapter, we see these kids taken from their parents. And by the end of the chapter, Daniel's been the one consistency through this, these kingdoms, and I think we're meant to just be like, "Wow, praise the Lord! That's just incredible." How is it that you have four teenagers that are put in this kind of environment? I don't know about you, you know, as a parent, you know, I you, you make these decisions to try to do the best you can to set your kids up to honor the Lord and you know that they're going to be accosted by the world, the flesh and the devil. You know, but after everything you do, you're just dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts, right? You just don't know. You got The Holy Spirit's got to show up, convict them of sin, get them looking to Christ. But here amidst a very dark period in Judah and Israel's history, God is preserving this remnant of young people totally outside of parental supervision, Right? Nobody was telling them, put the game box away or put the PlayStation away. These guys just said, we're going to honor the Lord. And, um, and the Lord's in the business of doing that. So I just want to kind of, as we kind of move this into kind of a little bit of application, just ask ourselves, you know, how would we, how are we doing? You know, we're not, you know, we're not. We haven't been taken captive and sent to Iraq. Um, But we're living, as the scripture says, each one of us in this room, we're living as strangers and aliens in a foreign land that is hostile to the things of the Lord. Um, We are not of this world. The flesh that we deal with is not on our side. The devil is not on our side the world when we see the use term use of the world the term world in the Bible that just you can just say culture culture is not on our side and so how is it that we survive how is it that Daniel and his friends were able to survive I think one of the things once you turn first we'll look at two passages once you turn to Romans or uh, I'm sorry John 10 first John 10 I think this is the first place that we need to start. And then we'll go over to the Romans passage, but. We need to see this from God's perspective first. Even when, as Dan was talking about, I think last week, even when God had predicted that they would be taken into captivity, he was given instructions through Jeremiah on how they were going to persevere through those 70 years and how they were going to come back. God had already set it up that he was going to preserve a remnant. He give them instructions to submit to their leadership, to not worship false, false idols, to not defile themselves, and they were promised that God would bring them back through the very difficult time. <clears throat> and we have a God who is, um, is ready and willing to bring His people through. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And how do we know that? Well, part of the way that we know that is is in John chapter ten. If you look at verse. Uh, 27, Jesus speaking here. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Daniel and his friends, they were his sheep and even way off in Babylon with no scrolls of God's word, no connection with their parents. God is visiting them and they heard his voice. God, is 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 speaking. He'll speak to his kids. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can snatch God's true children out of his hand. Verse 29, my father has given them to me. So the father has given them to Christ. He's greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So we're in a double grip. We're in Christ's hand and we're in the father's hand. And we can't be snatched out of either either of their hands. And by the way, verse 30, I and the father, are one. We're unified in this. So nobody can snatch God's true children. So even though Daniel and Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah are all off in this pagan land, learning about pagan gods, hanging out with demon-possessed people in Babylon's court, in in Nebuchadnezzar's court, God says, they're mine. Nobody's going to be able to snatch them because... I'm the one who has begun this work. That's part of where it needs to start in our own hearts. It's to be reminded of how secure we are in Christ and to, and to start with that. Um, now, when it comes to when we're thinking of our children, we have to be careful about how we pronounce that because we want to make sure that they've genuinely been converted. Right. That They've genuinely called upon Christ. And that's difficult to discern sometimes as a parent. But. Uh, for you who as adults you know that you've called upon Christ you've seen the work and the fruit of God in your life you you can claim that you can look at that these passages but then secondly in light of that turn over to Romans 12 <clears throat> the Lord tells us how we can survive this this life that we live in a foreign land In Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Yeah, it's referring back, most commentators would say, to the previous 11 chapters of gospel. All this stuff about how God has justified us by faith and if there's another height or no, depth or no, any other creature will be able to separate us from God therefore I appeal to you by these mercies that we've been talking about to present your bodies as a living sacrifice you know these believers would have been aware of the Levitical system we're giving our bodies rather than a lamb or a bull is a sacrifice wholly acceptable so we do want to understand our holiness in Christ as we talked about in Romans 6 but also the rest of Romans 6 talks about us not presenting our members as, as unto right, unrighteousness and this is your spiritual worship or some would say reasonable worship <clears throat> this is our uh, it's logical based upon what the Lord has done for us for us to seek to live holy for him verse 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed how By the renewing of your mind, that you may test and discern what the will of the Lord is. And then it goes on through verse 5 to talk about how that we're doing this within the body of Christ. That we're not just individuals doing this, but it's all happening within this body context. And so our minds are are being transformed as we remember chapters 1 to 11. And we don't want to be conformed to the world, but be transformed as we 're just being constantly reminded of all this gospel truth that 's where the power of God resides, right The power of God is in the truth of the Gospel of what God has done for us and how that He has begun a good work and you will complete the day of christ and There is this connection between our justification and sanctification he 's made us holy in Christ, and he is making us holy in christ in in this life and <clears throat> And so somehow through God's spirit and grace, Daniel and his friends, they caught that somehow their parents had taught them these things. Probably his, their parents were teaching them just like Deut- Deuteronomy six. They were waking up. They were going to bed. They had learned the word of God. They had learned that he is one. And then when tragedy struck, the Lord, by his grace, held them in his hands. And even though they were just surrounded by demonic activity and bad teaching, um, They persevered by God's grace. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. You know, when I think of, um, you know, my own kids, when I think of my own self, am I going to last? Am I going to make it? You know, the Lord says to me, my sheep hear my voice. And um, this is not some sort of guarantee that all of your kids necessarily are going to follow Christ and know the Lord. Uh, That's a complicated subject. Um, But as they have embraced Christ and believed in him and come to a depth and understanding of their own sin and their need for Christ, I think we can go to them and remind them of these truths of who they are in the Lord and how that they're unpluckable, they're unsnatchable. Um, Anyway, I hope that's encouraging to you. Let me give you one little footnote here from this material. And that is, I think one of the sideline lessons that we can learn from Daniel 1 is that Christian people can be a great blessing to pagans. Um, Daniel, as a Jewish believer, was a tremendous blessing in his pagan context. And so Christians, I don't think, need to... you know, We don't know... How, you know the Lord and His sovereignty puts us in situations sometimes that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Um, but we don't necessarily have to always see that as a bad thing man, I've got this boss at work that just will never let up. He just hates the Lord and he's always on me. Well, why did the Lord put you there? How does the Lord want you to be a blessing to this person who may never know, come to know Christ? Um, How can we just kind of both share the gospel light, but also share a sense of common grace with unbelievers in our lives? Most of us are going to work in our lives in environments where God is not being honored and lifted up. I remember when I, I, went to, when I was in college, I did literature, and then I decided, okay, well, I think I'm going to study to be a teacher for a while before I go smuggle Bibles into Russia, which never happened. And, um, and so I'll tell you, one of the most shocking things to me is when I started my first job as a teacher, walking into the teacher's lounge and realized that teachers cuss and tell <laughs> nasty jokes... And speak derogatory things about the children. And I walk in. I'm just like. I thought I was in a teacher's lounge. <laughs> I'm like. Oh my goodness. I fit, I spent like the first year of my. Probably a year and a half as a teacher. Out with the kids on recess. I just avoided the teacher's lounge. Because it was just such a nasty environment. So I just go out and play basketball. But then after a while. I was just like. Man maybe. What can I do? So I. I just started hanging around with the, with some of our teachers in our core and and every time I sat down it 's like they 're just telling nasty jokes i 'd have to sit there and not laugh, and then everybody 's like what 's wrong with this guy and I just kind of endured it you know, and over time, one of the teachers came to know the Lord, and then we started a little Bible study and Before you knew it, like just the environment at least in my little circle of the world started to change a little bit and it took a long time, and it was really tough. <clears throat> But it was like, you know, and I, I, I felt like the Lord, even with, the, you know, a lot of our, you know, pagan teachers, the Lord used me in some ways to just I remember the guy that taught next door to me. He was the meanest teacher on campus and <clears throat> all of the kids couldn't stand him. So it was great for me because I could send my kids to his room if they got in trouble. They'd be like, no, 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 don't send me there. <clears throat> but then as I started getting to know this guy, I realized it wasn't just the kids that didn't like him. His guy didn't have any friends. Nobody liked him. And then he just started inviting me to go like he invited me to go to like the auto what was the big l a auto show, and I just went to the auto show, and I'll just be honest with you, I didn't want to go there there was I would have much rather have gone fishing or lots of other things, you know, but I went to the auto show and 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 got to know this guy and we became really good friends and um and so the Lord can use you in your context. <clears throat> to just be a great blessing. So don't, don't view, we don't want to always view our place in this world as we're just enduring all the pagans until we go to heaven and they go to hell. <clears throat> well, obviously we want to share the gospel, but also we can just, the Lord can use us to be, to do kind things for them, to be a good employee and bring profit to the business of your pagan employer, Right. Um, to make some decisions that really help the business thrive and do well um that's that's great stuff right there for people wow christians all christians aren 't lazy right um they actually work hard and 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 they and they try to do well for their business um let's see a couple of final things and we'll pray um how can we better live as aliens? How can we resist the brainwashing pressure all around us? How would you guys answer that in light of this morning, or maybe just any other thoughts you might have? Yeah. I think we have to remember to whom we belong. Yeah. And great so dan says we have to remember um we're here who, who we belong to the lord we're here to be um in the world but not of the world tell me your first name again flahenzio that's right okay yeah that's great being culture changers rather than just letting having culture change us that's excellent Um, and with just, you know, um going to start into a couple of um, gals I know. Um, and the big thing that we've been saying over and over is don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. That's good. Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. And so it's like taking, I mean, the Bible gives us instructions. You know, we have all of this stuff around us filling our heads. We take those thoughts captive, we submit them to Christ, and then we replace them with all of those whatever things. That's good. Know, Good Mantra, ooh, I'm joking, yeah, that's, that's good, <coughs> no, um, yeah, so a little, you know, yeah, I'll totally mix it in there, yeah, a little syncretism, yeah, so don't um, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself, I love that, yeah, Heather. I think that's in first corinthians maybe yeah i was just thinking about that i think melton where, where is that where when you're in a situation about meat eating or this or that and you're supposed to prefer the believer as opposed to try to make the unbeliever feel first corinthians eight i knew he would know because he preached through it but yeah that's that's a fantastic i was thinking that too that um yeah if we are in that situation we should prefer the brother or sister and let the un- unbeliever be offended in that respect so i know like i i used to kind of do the opposite i would feel like i needed to kind of placate my unbelieving friend and you're you know oh you got these scruples forget you you know we need to minister the unbeliever But it's actually the opposite i think hi ha- or yeah I think that's just me. Is that you too? Yeah, so we're fickle and forgetful. Yeah, and and just it's just like man, like we just need to be saturated, consumed with truth. And um yeah, yeah, I think that's a good there's other things we could do but I'd say that's response that's awesome. Saturated, consumed with truth. Yeah, the Lord's been hitting me with that afresh, you know, lately just how much I really need. You man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I I don't know. The Lord's been hitting me with a more, a deeper sense of like reading the word of God is not just something I should do because it's, I need to check it off. I need it or I'm a danger to myself. Um, I've been, I picked up, this is one of my favorite new toys is the ESV study Bible. It's really killer notes. It's like the big one. It arrived, you know. And um, that's the big boy. But it's a, it's got really cool notes in it. But one of the things that my wife and I, we started doing, she did it last year. And I just thought, ah, I don't think I have time for that. But she, she started this 90-day challenge. It's where you read through the Bible in 90 days. And they actually, Zondervan has a little 90-day Bible. And... But then I started looking through what the program is. And it's like, if you do their, their Bible, it's 12 pages a day. It's about 45 minutes of reading a day to read through the Bible in 90 days. I'm like, 45 minutes? Man, that's a designated survivor episode, right? I could, and so I'll, in, I'll wake up in the morning and I kind of cheat a little bit because I, I'll listen to some of it as long as I'm paying attention. So I'll I'll put it... I'll hang this kind of up in the shower where it doesn't get wet, and I'll start off that way. And then on the way to work, I'm already halfway done by the time I get to work, and then I'll read the rest. But, man, it's been really encouraging. And it hasn't... I don't feel like it's been overwhelming. For some reason, I just thought, that's completely overwhelming. I could never do that. But 12 pages a day, 45 minutes a day. Yeah, Zondervan has a little Bible. I bought a a couple used ones for like 8 bucks, Because I guess people got rid of theirs after their 90 day challenge or they never got through it i don't know um but so anyway uh yeah so i'm in what is this i don't know what even today is i'm in deuteronomy 28 right now and it hasn't even been hard i don't know why i thought it was so hard anyway tell me your first name again i daniel that's right oh cool yeah yeah yes totally totally so that they may see your good works, glorify your Father in heaven, not just acts but the fruit that's coming out, yeah, you know that's that's awesome um I could yeah, I don't wanna I was gonna say something, but I'm gonna edit myself. So that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. I've been editing myself a little better lately. So, yeah, one more, Joe. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, the satraps and stuff were opposing him later. We should, we won't, we not to be yeah, totally. So Joe's just pointing out that, you know, God he he moved on the heart through through Daniel and his friends on Nebuchadnezzar and uh what's his name again? Ashpenaz and uh Panaj, I don't know. And but at the same time there was guys that were after Daniel. So we you know, there's going to be different reactions. Kind of wonder you wonder what happened to Ashpenaz. Did he, you know, he come to know the Lord or who knows? We'll see. Well, let's go ahead. Somebody. Else? Oh yeah, that's right. He wrote the diet book right after. That's right. The uh, ten day. Yeah, the Babylonian. Actually, it would have been the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The oats and vegetable ten day oats and vegetable fattening up diet need to come up with a good title for that. Maybe I can write a book. Make some college tuition money. All right, let's go ahead and pray. L- Lord, we thank you so much for just the encouragement from this section of Scripture and the other passages we've looked at. Help us, Lord, to live in a, uh, as foreigners in a way that we would honor and glorify you and at the same time seek the good and benefit of those that you've placed in our lives. Um, we pray that we just gain encouragement and, and for our hearts this morning. Bless us as we sing to you and hear from your word as Pastor Milton preaches. In Christ's name we pray, amen.